Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday morning. Let me see if I have time to do the Haftorah which is being sponsored this week by a good friend and a friend indeed, not only a neat friend indeed, uh, Ben Bernstein, Dr. Bernstein, and the Long Green Valley, which I call Green Acres, and if you're from my generation. And uh, thank you very much. Very kind, generous of you, sponsoring too. So let's take a look. This is one of the famous Shiva and the we all know, the Haftorahs of Consolation. And it's the second half of the Book of Isaiah, of course, and here he is, you know, uh, waxing prophetic, obviously, about a glorious future. That's why we do these Haftarahs, because they predict a glorious future. Um, and uh, let's put it this way. Uh, it's very interesting. I mean, there's two parts to this. There's more than two, but two that draw my attention. One is at the end, where he kind of identifies himself and... He said, and I'm sure that uh, living in his time, so these are prophecies that he pronounced. You know, say these when you have nevuas. I mean, these nevuas that were said and recorded. Uh, it's not something he simply thought. And when he predicts this utopia that we have in this week's parsha, um, again, as I always say, if you want to get historical, it could be that in the immediate sense, the prophet is talking about the recovery from the Assyrian devastation, because Isaiah lived in the time of the Assyrian devastation, when the whole kingdom of Judah, except for Yishalayim, uh was wiped out. It was pretty bad. Just go to the Lachish relief. Just Google that, Siege of Lachish. You see all the graphic stuff from the Assyrian army, what they did to the Jews. Um, that's one way. On the other hand, it also, and more significantly for you and I, he's talking about Mashiach time. A nevuah can have more than one layer of meaning. And you and I today take it that he's talking about the future messianic utopia. Because otherwise, what do we care about what happened to Tambasha? It's long ago. It was temporary. And it was followed by bad. Because during the siege of uh, the war invasion of Sancherib, I mean, it was an episode. Yes, it's true that after the Assyrians left, little by little there was a recovery. And possibly... The way the prophet describes it could have been a remarkable recovery. But then it was destroyed by Bavel. So who cares for an episode? Now, Shankin, if you say he's talking about Mashiach time, two, then that's a permanent significance because, of course, when we read this, what's important about the Messianic era that it is not episodic, that it'll be permanent. I mean, that's what we're looking for. We don't want a third temple that'll come and go again like the second did. We want an end to this business. And so what makes it utopian is precisely that this will be permanent. You understand? Permanent security, permanent prosperity, permanent, you know, a good relationship with Hashem and all that stuff. A base of should be there, you know, for all time. And uh, what's interesting is uh, that he must have been mocked or something like that. He must have been mocked. 
because he has to defend himself. It's real funny. Jeremiah has to defend himself against his prophecies of doom, because nobody wants their prophecies of doom. But Yeshayel, who did plenty of prophecies of doom, he somehow rather has to defend himself against these prophecies of anti-doom, because in today's parsha he says, Sion will be overflowing, and it'll be prosperity, and, you know, they'll have and so forth. I mean, it'll be unbelievable prosperity and, and, and success. And people must have said, you know, uh, what do you call it? It can't be. Uh, perhaps, perhaps uh, one of the effects of the invasion was that a lot of captives were carried off, which you can see in the reliefs. So just think about it. You, know, you might have an ancestor that they, they lost track of because the, the grandparent or whatever was carried off or whatever by the Assyrian army, something like that. Um, we know that in the wake of the devastation, and it is possible that he's giving this prophecy prior to the devastation, there comes a big use. Uh, like happened after 1945, which is completely understandable by some, because the Navi, as we all know, says, Why do you interpret the invasion and the devastation and the Chorban and the Holocaust that took place in those days as an end, a get, between you and Hashem? Where's the get? I never issued one. So you and I are still married, God says. Or did I sell you off like someone has to sell off objects to pay off debts? You know, you always have to remember, as like I said before, you and I live in a modern economy, and the old economy was very different. Modern economy, you have mass production, and so, you know, a person, I mean, we throw out unbelievable amount of stuff. We just throw it out. Um, either spring cleaning or whatever, a guy in my shoulder just made Aliyah. He had to get rid of a ton of stuff. I mean, literally give it away. A ton of stuff. Long ago, it wasn't like that. You didn't have a ton of stuff, and you didn't give it away. The Gemara is always assuming if somebody's selling something, he must be you know, ne- needing cash. They're selling something otherwise wouldn't sell. In modern times, it's very different. You know? If you have an old set of china, I mean, why do I want it? I'll go buy a new set of china. You see what I'm saying? Like that. Unless you make it super cutthroat, uh, you know, cut, cut the price, uh, I'm, whatever. They want a new thing. Wasn't like that always. So, if the guy had creditors, he might have to give this off. And that's why they use this marshal. Who did I sell you off to pay a debt? Hashem said, I didn't have to do that. If you got messed over, it's your own fault. It's a punishment for your sins. As I predicted in the Tochacha. Okay? If there was a separation of you and me, and of course, when the Jews go into Chorban and exile, there is a kind of a separation between us and Hashem. That's the basic theory of what you call the Golas, the Golas Ashkin even. That, you know, yeah, the Ashkin is there somehow, but it's in Galusa and so forth. There is a certain separation. That's why you yearn, if you're very spiritual, for Beis everything again, to, to repair that uh, that rupture, that relationship. But uh, he says, it's your fault. You caused it with the Averis, as I predicted in the Tochacha. 
And your mother was sent away, meaning there was a divorce. There wasn't a legal divorce. Your mother was carried away. Imagine a lady, uh, a couple's married, and pirates come and carry her off. By the way, they used to be not uncommon. When you had the uh, Muslim pirates, the Barbary pirates, they raged far and wide. They would raid villages on the coastal areas and carry off people into slavery. So a guy could be married. All of a sudden, his wife's gone. Never got divorced. But he'll never see her again because she's going to be heading up some slave situation in Morocco, Algeria, excuse me, Algeria, Tunisia, wherever it was. Or somebody's harem for all I know. Happened all the time. I'm talking about centuries and centuries and centuries until the 19th century. So in that case, the mother is sent away, but they're still married. In the case of Hashem, it can't be that you're permanently gone because God can always bring you back. You know, if a guy in Europe loses his wife to pirates, he carried off, he's never going to see her again. But if it turns out that she was somebody super chosha, let's say a princess from England, she'll get back. Somewhere or other, she'll get back. The English will bring her back. So, that's the language that the prophet is using in the Haftarah today. And of course, we're supposed to get in the Chama from that. Now, the thing is that uh, he sees that, uh, how should I put it this way? That this message is not being uh, uh, received well. Because what he's saying is like this. You have been destroyed. You have been carried off. You still got to put on the and You still got to keep Shabbos. The guy says, heck with that. If Hashem sent me off and, and abandoned me, all the rest of it, he broke his side. I, I'm breaking my side. I don't have to do it either. I'm giving up. I'm giving up on all this. And Hashem is saying over here, it doesn't work that way because we never got divorced. So I'm sending you off with a certain punishment, but it doesn't mean it's there. Well, you want to know something? This is not a message that goes over well with the audience because he has to say, I'm, I'm coming and there's nobody listening to me. Do you think you're really used that Hashem can't bring you back? Hashem can do anything and so forth. Now, this is clearly a message of Nechama that the people don't want to hear. And therefore, he has to defend himself, the prophet Isaiah, who says, Hashem al-kim li loshen li mudim lodas la'us es yoif dover. It's a very interesting Hebrew construction. I'm not even sure there's a there's a, a, a good translation for that. Hashem al-kim nosan li loshen li mudim. You can't translate into English. I mean, I can understand the different possibilities of doing it. I'm not stupid, but none of them work. Matter of fact, let me see here. I pull up the different English translation on the Bible Hub. God gave me a well-instructed tongue. Nah. Gave me his words of wisdom. Nah. Gave me the tongue of those who are taught. Nah. Gave me the tongue of discipleship. Nah. None of these things were good. Tongue of the learned. Tongue of disciples. Tongue of disciples. You see, none of these translations are any good. That's how it goes. Here's a good one. The Lord God gave me the right words to encourage the weary. That's good. Hashem al-kim nosan li loshan li mudim lo das lo us That's probably the best translation. Hashem gave me the right words to encourage the weary. Um, ordinarily, we would translate it, he gave me a, 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 the ability to speak well. Okay? But Yeshayahu is saying like this. I gave you the message you need to hear. Now, uh, turns out 
it's not so pushed. Because he goes on to say, um, and he wakens my ear, um, he wakens me to learn his teaching, whatever. The Hebrew is not simple. The poetry is great, but the, the translation is not pushing. But listen to this. I went out and made all these speeches, and I warned Kal Yisrael about the consequences of their sins, of the Tochacha, but I also predicted to them the glorious future once they do Tshuva, like you see in Pasha's Vayelech, Yitzavim, you know, when you hit rock bottom, you'll do Tshuva. Gave him Nosat Lamakim Lechoyel Mortin, Pony Lois Tartim Eklimis wrote, and I, Yeshayo Anobi, who the Gmarza was a member of the royal family. So he went and gave these speeches, which are not popular, and he did not get applause. Okay? He got the opposite. He says, Gave him the Satamukim. I gave my back to the smiters, and I gave my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. So when you go and make a speech that people don't want to hear, you can have a bad reaction. Today they say they threw tomatoes at you. In those days, they beat you up. And Yeshayo was saying over here, he said, I've been beaten up. But you want to know something? Hashem gave me a job to tell this speech. I'm giving this speech. I don't care what you do to me. Gave him a satamakin. I went in and told everybody, in other words, in my speeches before, when I warned them against the Averis, and I predicted the holocausts that were coming. And now that I'm predicting a future that they think is a is too much to hope for, they beat me up. Gave him a satamakin. Think about that. Yeshayo Hanavi went out in the public and said what he said, and they were so unpopular, people beat him up. Gave him a satamakin. People go whack him, and he bends over like you and I would do, you know, hunch over to to uh, shield yourself to the degree you can against, um, uh, you know, uh, blows, almost like a fetal position. Because one guy cannot fight against the crowd, and they pull my beard out. My cheeks from people pull it out. And I've had my share of reek, of people cussing me out and spitting on me. There, my friends, is a picture of a Navi. Don't join the club unless you're willing to pay the price. Right? The price is not so cheap. you got to be willing to say whatever Hashem tells you to say. And today, we'd be freaked out if people got up and started interrupting and screaming all the rest of it. They did that and more. People spin on him. They pull his beard apart. They beat him up. But you want to know something? He has taught himself. You know, he's a Navardiker. He's taught himself Hishtavas, which means, you know, I, I, I make it that I don't care. I can endure it all, and I don't allow it to get to me. It's an extreme form of Stoicism. Right? Hashem said, it'll help me. Therefore, I don't feel any shame. So in other words, when people uh, curse you and embarrass you and say you're a loser, all the rest of it, I don't let it get to me. I said, Navarik, you know, they used to train you in the extreme Navarik times to do crazy things. I'm talking about 100 years ago, 1910, 1920 and on. My father lived in Lithuania, as I said many times. Uh, where he lived in the shop, Navarik would go into a, a pharmacy and ask for nails or things like this, you know, to build a house. And people say, you idiot, this is a pharmacy. What are you asking that stuff for? And the idea was to train yourself, train yourself that you don't care what anybody else thinks. People make fun of you, all the rest of it. 
And then they would send the guy out to some village and say, I'm starting a yeshiva here in this little shul, and people screaming and all the rest. He's already been trained. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. So I'm not sure what you call that in English. Uh, this is certainly not uh, in the category of how to win friends and influence people. This is how not to give a darn what anybody thinks of you. That's a different madrega. How not to give a darn what anybody else thinks of you. Hashem lokim yazar li, alkein lo nechlamti. Alkein samti ponai kachalamish. I just make my face like a stone. And I will not allow myself to be embarrassed. Right? I know I'll not be ashamed. So in other words, if you were surrounded, it's very interesting. Onavi, now this is sui generis, it's a special relationship. Onavi has been contacted by Hashem and he can feel it. Uh, you read the Ramchal book, so you know it's true simply because you know it's true. There's no way around that. You just know it's true. That you're really getting a message from Hashem. If that's the case, it's like having an audience with one person you care about and a hundred people you don't care about. Right? Imagine a guy gets up there making a speech and one of them is a potential employer and the other a bunch of yutzes. Guy sitting back at a show, garnished. And he's giving his speech or presentation and the others are mumbling themselves and this and that and making fun of him. But the guy he cares about is impressed. And as a result of that speech, he'll get a job. And who cares what the idiot said because they don't count. They're not players. In that audience of 100 people that I just described, only one was a player. And that's the only one you have to impress. And that he impressed. And that's the idea of a Novi. He said, Hashem talked to me. And the only one I care about his opinion is Hashem. And I don't care about all the other people. So if I have to come and tell them all, you know, go into, uh, uh, I don't know, a drinking festival and tell everybody, you know, to become Alcoholics Anonymous, even they all scream and throw bottles at me. If God told me to do it, I'm going to do it. That, that, that kind of way of looking at it. Right? And it goes on over here. Karav Matsdiki, that the one who's on my side is next to me, okay? Therefore, know that Hashem is the Matsdik. So I, I just don't care what anybody else says. I just don't care. So it's, 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 uh, it's very, very good. And anyway, the rest of you are losers. All the people who criticize me are going to be like an old garment eaten by the moths. So this is a an example. This is an example of uh, what it takes to be an Ovi. It's actually very interesting. Now, it doesn't quite fit um, the Haftar, which is supposed to be so glorious, unless you say that they said the same way they say you're nuts when you predict all the Corbins. You're also nuts when you predict this utopia after the Corbin. It's like a person would stand in the concentration camp and say, well, I see a glorious future. We're all going to be living a high life. They say, you're crazy. You're crazy. Why are you bothering us with false hope and illusory you know, predictions and things like that? Why would you do that? Now, um, I'm going to tell you something that's really striking over here. If you look at the... Uh, you see over here, as you do do not often see in the Haftarahs, and not often in the Tanakh, you know, the, the, the necessary training to be a prophet. And part of it is, you have to, you know, be Heshtavus. You, you just have to train yourself that you're a messenger from the one player that counts, from B'an Shalom, and you don't care what anybody else says. Otherwise, how can somebody go in and cuss out a king? Or, 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 or reprove the uh, richy riches. Aren't you afraid they'll get you? And they will get you. You understand? 
It's not true all the Navis are protected by a force field. Some of these guys got killed. You know, as well as I do. Zechariah, you know, they, they murdered him in the, in the base of Megish with the bubbling blood. But there's a fair number of prophets like that. And may I say, Yeshayahu himself, if you go by the Chazal, was murdered later on by King Menashe, who couldn't let, take the criticism. But you want to know something? I mean, Yeshaya hid for his life. He's not crazy. But on the other hand, he's not going to stop and, you know, let's put it this way, uh, you know, play ball and, uh, you know, refrain from criticizing what he sees deserves the criticism. So it's a tough business to be a prophet. It's not necessarily everybody would want to go into it. Now, I just want to call your attention to one thing over here, which is sort of homiletical of contemporary relevance. And that is, and I only I only thought of it this year, okay? One of the beginnings in Torah is, of course, this wonderful Nechamo, where you talk about Sion as a mother who's lost her children, and then she has more. And as a matter of fact, she 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 uh, lost all of her kids, and then next thing you know, she's like 20 uh, children, 50 grandchildren, 200 great-grandchildren, things of this nature, all right? And he goes on to say, Open your eyes and you'll see all your children and grandchildren returning for you, the ones you didn't think that would be able to be there. And next thing you know, you, Tzion, who he addresses as a woman, will be mother of a goddess, will be full of people. So much so, you see, there's not enough room. The place that was formerly desolated and destroyed, I taught now it's Tetsimiyosha. The real estate shot up. There's not enough land for the people that want to live there. Which, of course, is happening in Yerushalayim today. And the, the prices shoot up. Tetsimiyosha. It's too narrow for inhabitants, which means there's not enough land to go around. Rachem Okay? And literally, and you will hear that the children in exile, will say, this place is too narrow for us. Make room for us to dwell in. To another, it's imagine Israel will be rebuilt in a small model. Let's say, I'll just make this up. For a million, two million people. And next thing you know, 10 million Jews from Chutzlaris want to come there and to say, how can an area for one or two million people fit 10 million people? That's what he's trying to say. This is the plain meaning of how we read this prophecy. In this day and age, though, it's very interesting. It always has you know, contemporary relevance in its own time. For you and I today, there are a lot of people make Aliyah, but it's like already a truism. You hear, you know, make Aliyah when you're younger or when you're old. In other words, when you get married, or once your kids are grown and married. But it's not so simple to move with children who are of school age, because it often turns out bad. You've heard that, right? Um, I've heard big rabbis say that, all the rest of it. No, as you move to Israel and the kids can't integrate into the new situation, they go off to Derek and end up in this and that bad situation. Which is really funny because what you're really saying is like this. For the American, I'm just using an example. For the American family moving there with kids who are 10, 15 years old, you know, they're school age, all the rest of it, and they're only used to the American messias. When they come to Israel, not in the physical sense, but in the cultural sense, you have the problem... There's no room for me here. Um, I don't fit into the Israeli system because I wasn't born in Israel. The kids weren't born in Israel and they didn't grow up with the other kids. I can't fit into another system because it doesn't work for that either. I need 
Make room for me to dwell in. You need a misgeret for the American kids, or the British, whoever it is, uh, to fit in, which is why I was told by my friend Rabbi Oberstein the other day that they're starting school systems or stuff like this, Haredi things, which have, if I understand them correctly, maybe I didn't understand them, which have like in America, Hebrew and English. Uh, obviously, it's meant for these Chutzlars type kids because the, the Israeli system is too culturally too narrow for them. And it, it works if it works, but if it doesn't work, it can have a disaster. So isn't that interesting? That your, um, how, how would you translate it? The children were, the children born in exile. Well, say in your ears. The Israeli framework is too narrow for me. I repeat, culturally. And make some room for me so I can dwell myself. In other words, it could be, I don't know, um, that the Navi is talking, in, in, as always, in multiple levels, and he's describing a, a, a Matthias in which it's not that there's not physically enough room in Eretz Yisrael, but people are coming in from such different backgrounds. In Chutzlars, and what's already been established in Israel can sometimes be, as he puts it over here, uh, Mitzarim, you know, narrow or confining, which to the natives is normal. I think that's a very interesting and very real uh, situation as we know today. And it's food for thought. So look how, if you look at a Haftarah or a Nevoah, it has multiple, multiple meanings. The trouble with the reading of a Farshim is they usually have like one meaning, uh, which is necessary for a baseline. But you have to understand when you read a, a, a Nevoah, it doesn't only mean, you know, the year 2022, so to speak, or something like that, even because what's going to be in the year 2032 and 2052 and so forth, or 1898, or 1550. It was no to those people in 1550. It's no to us today. The trick is to see, you know, how it fits into our contemporary Anyway, that's what I think. And with that, I'm going to close it down. I want to thank once again Green Acres over there, Dr. Bernstein, and uh, all the others. I hope next week we'll get other sponsors. And with that, I wish you all a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.